Good evening. I was taking a walk down memory lane. It was just about 2002 when I arrived in Bradford because I got a job with Bradford Council. And, and God guided me here and um, I stayed here for one and a half years. I was living up at Barker End Road, BD3 and fellowshipping with Sunbridge Road on a Sunday evening and joining in Real Hope on a Wednesday night, was it? Fifteen years ago. And when I left Bradford, I left to join my fiance Martina. Um, sadly, she isn't uh, here tonight. She sends greetings. She's not well, and I'll, I'll tell a bit more um, later on. But my wife Martina does send greetings. Instead, uh, my mum and dad are here. So that's, that's also special. And it's your first visit to Bradford? First visit to Sunbridge Road. So thank you very much uh, for welcoming us uh, tonight. It's going to be a game of two halves. Uh, first of all, I'm just going to um, fill in where Martina and myself are, where we're at, uh, by God's grace. And then we're going to listen to the gospel together afterwards. Is that all right with you? Yeah. As uh, Adrian said, we're, uh, Martina and I with, are with AWM, Arab World Ministries. We're not in the Arab world because now the, the world is everywhere. All nations are everywhere. And we're in Germany at the moment, working not only among Arabs, but working amongst refugees, um, many of whom are Muslims. The, the word that God has put on our hearts that expresses our situation at the moment is this uh, verse 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I have no idea. Is it, is it cycling? I'll just carry on while the... Yeah, never mind. Yeah, this is where we live at the moment, by the way. As I said, the the, the verse that that's really speaking to us at the moment, two Corinthians four seven, it's Paul, the apostle Paul, who writes, "We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us." What does Paul mean by that? We have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about himself, isn't he? That God sends out human beings with all our richness, with all, especially in us, but all, with all our weakness as well. Martina and I were in France for 10 years in the suburbs of Paris, 2006 to 2016. We left Paris in December of last year, after 10 years. The suburbs of Paris, that doesn't sound very nice. When people visit Paris, they normally go to the centre where you get the Eiffel Tower, Arc de Triomphe, the museums and everything. But for us, what was special were those northern suburbs, post-industrial, 
people would say difficult. If you see burning buses on the news, if you see Paris and you see pictures of burning buses, that's more or less round about where we lived. But there's this line from a French book, I don't know if you've read it, a little French story, The Little Prince. It's been translated into lots of languages, The Little Prince, and there's a, a sentence in that, in that book that says, It is the time you have wasted for your rose that makes your rose so important. It is the time that you have wasted for your rose that makes your rose so important. What makes somebody special? What makes something special? It's the time, the effort, the prayer that you've invested in that person. And this was why France was so special to us. This is why the people are still special because we spent time together. We struggled together. We prayed together. We, we shared Jesus together. And... That's why even the northern suburbs, even those burning buses and the uncertainty, for us, for those 10 years, it was home. And we're happy to say that we haven't completely cut our ties, even though we're in Germany. Uh, two friends from our church are coming to visit us. And in October, we're going back to back there to celebrate with, the, with that young church, 20 years of being a church in, in, in the town of Blomeniel. 20 years. Pastor Phil was saying it's about 30 years since you've been here. Well, this church is younger and God has been faithful and we, we're looking forward to celebrating that, that time that we were with the church. Sorry, I can't get a teacher hinge. It goes through it all. Okay, right. There we go. Can you? It'll move on. Okay, never mind. Okay, we're on that slide. Re-entry. Because we left uh, Germany in December of last year and we went back to Martina's hometown in, in, in Germany. We left France, we went to Germany, to Martina's hometown. And in missionary terms, that's what is known as re-entry. You can see the picture there. What what does re-entry what does re-entry say to you? It means you drop out the atmosphere, you parachute down, and you're home. It's like the astronauts coming back from the International Space Station. Re-entry. And what that means for a missionary is people can fly everywhere, can't they? You can come from the other side of the world and be be home within twenty four hours. The body can travel so fast. But as a Welsh poet said, wisdom must come on foot. It takes a while for the mind, it takes a while for the spirit to catch up with the body. And so even though we returned home, for, uh, returned to Germany for Martina from France, what is it, four hours by train? For, especially for us, it was uprooting our lives and then began a process of settling into a new village, a new situation. And as I, as I said, this is what missionaries go through. If you're in touch with missionaries, if you've been abroad yourself, maybe you've experienced that. 
coming back to what you thought was home and finding everything's changed. People have moved on. And it takes that time for the soul, for the, the spirit to fit in and to be, a ho be at home again amongst people who look so familiar to us. And this was especially hard for Martina um, because she, she feels things as women often do. They feel things, don't they? And she's going through a, a heavy depression at the moment because of the uprooting. What was her home in France, she left it. And where we are now, even though we're with her parents, with her family, it's still not quite her home and she's having to settle in. She's going through depression because of that. And so um, we pray for her. Many people are praying for her. And if you receive our newsletters, please do pray for Martina that God will speak his peace, speak his reassurance into her heart. And as she lives that with the Heavenly Father or so, she can forge, reforge the old friendships, make new friends and find her place in that community again. Why have we come back to Germany? We prayed um, about leaving France. We asked God, where do you want us to go? And when we went back to Germany for a short holiday last year, I found myself speaking as much Arabic in her small village as I was speaking in Paris. Why was I speaking Arabic in the small village? Because there were refugees being posted in that village. As you see from the news, Germany has welcomed many refugees, hasn't it? Angela Merkel a couple of years ago said, yes, we can, we can take them in. And they were hoping to have, and they're hoping to have a good workforce. But there's a story behind that. Back in 1993, some Christians had this brilliant idea that they were going to address to God what they called a shameless prayer. Back in 1993, these Christians, they wrote their prayer, they circulated, they said, Lord God, being a missionary is, is hard. You have to go out, learn a language, go out into the world and reach people. That's hard. We'd rather stay at home. So they said in this prayer, we've got this idea. Why don't you bring the nations to us? And in this prayer said, Lord God, if you can send to us about 100,000 from Afghanistan, from Iran, from China, from those countries where it's hard for Christians to go, bring them here and we will promise to make friends with them. We will promise to share Jesus with them. We promise to pray that they might turn to Jesus. That was back in 1993. And as I said in 2015, Angela Merkel said, yeah, let them come to us. So God took those Christians at their word. And in our village now, it's a small village, 
couple of thousand. There are about 200 refugees came last year, another 200 this year. There are families, there are single men. And if you saw that house on the hill there, surrounded by the vineyards, it looked pretty, didn't it? That's where 36, men, 36 single men have their homes. They are men from Iran, a few Pakistanis, Somalians, uh, from North Africa, from Eritrea, put there in that house. It looks lovely when you're on holiday, but when you have to live there, I tell you, those men are bored. <laughs> it's not easy for them. And they, they just want to go to the, to the big town nearby. But if God has brought them there, it's so the church in that village can reach out to them and share the gospel with them. And we're going to work with the church, that those refugees that come to us, that they hear of Jesus. Irrespective of their language, I, with English, German, French, Arabic, you just better, just get, get around Persian and Turkish. I'm learning bit by bit, it's not easy. But the goal is that they learn of Jesus. And there are Christians among them. There are young men who have been baptised, who need discipling. The goal is that the young Christians or the new Christians come into the life of the church and form part of that Christian family in the village. And the goal is that the members of the church in that village reach out to their new neighbours. And with the church council, with the pastor, and um, we got together and we said, yes, we want to do that. So we're, we're building that, building that up. What does it mean concretely? Concretely, it means prayer. First of all, prayer. That God move our hearts, change our hearts, and that God touch the hearts. It also means getting to know people one-to-one, -one, getting to know the families, getting to know those young men. I've been doing that over the past weeks, getting to know also the German legal system, I tell you. I've been doing a bit of translating for them when they've had to go to have their, um, their papers renewed. I took one guy who had a fine to pay because he, he didn't have his bus ticket with him. So we had to go to some court and organise this fine. And I've been also with a guy who was getting a local job, getting a job with a local firm. One-to-one -one helping, these, helping these and getting to know them. And also we want to put on events, celebrations, celebrating together, sharing Jesus together. Pray that a house group can come together for the young Christians, pray for seekers groups. You're doing Almasira, I heard. Uh, there is one group doing Almasira. We've got it also in Germany. Um, pray that we can start doing that. Concretely, pray in September for the Afghans amongst us. There's going to be a three-day evangelistic event uh, in Dari, which is the language uh, the most Afghans speak. And we're going to have it live streamed. 
uh, into our into our into our church. We want to have a meal with the friends we know, gather them together, have a meal, share together, watch the video, and that Jesus can touch hearts. Um, so that's a three-day event in September. And it also means concretely helping, offering practical help. Um, because they come, they don't speak German, they need help settling in, much like our neighbours here. So that's the work we feel God has called us to and we're, we're putting up in place. So um, pray with us for that that he work in hearts and bring people to himself, that he cleanses hearts, strengthens hearts and gives that assurance of the love of the Eternal Father. That's the end of the report, that's the end of the first half. If you'd like, um, shall we have a moment of prayer, not just for Martina and myself, not just for our village in Germany, which is called Hohen Haslach, if you can remember that. But also uh, maybe we can pray for Hope House and all that Hope House is doing, all that the church is doing, you know better than I. I haven't had time to look up the find a notice sheet. But shall we just have a time of prayer for for our two fellowships and for our for our neighbours. Is that okay? Open prayer. And as the word says to us, Heavenly Father, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And Heavenly Father, I... I pray for those who serve you in this church, Heavenly Father. I pray that you give them rest during this season of holiday, Lord, this season when activities slow down. Give your servants the rest and recovery they need. And minister to their souls, minister to their spirits, I pray, give good family time together where family time is necessary, where, where family time is needed, Lord. And watch over your children and renew your children and restore your children. And lift up and empower and equip also those whom you are calling to serve you in the coming months when activities resume again, Lord. For those who begin some a new ministry, a new avenue of service, Lord, guide them, encourage them, equip them, empower them, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit. That your name be glorified, that your salvation, Lord Jesus, be known that the world may see that you are the Saviour. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, shall we spend a few minutes listening to...
to the gospel, listening to the word? No worries. Let me read a few verses from Matthew chapter 9. These are well-known verses. And we're going to go through step by step. As I was saying uh, to Pastor Phil, there's an article uh, in Evangelicals Now where the person writes about the ministry of preaching and he says when a preacher preaches, 95% of the time, 95% of what the preacher says is already known to 95% of the congregation. So let's just meditate on a passage that is probably well known to us in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. I start off by reading verses 35-36. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. It says there, verse 36, When Jesus saw the multitudes, the gospel writers, they're always impressed by how Jesus gathered a crowd. Multitudes followed him, and people brought their sicknesses to him. I don't know how about you, but how do we feel when we're in a crowd? What, do, what effect do crowds make on us? Maybe we're afraid because we see what has happened in the news. Now imagine we're surrounded by a crowd of people in need. We would probably feel, we would probably feel afraid. We would probably feel hopeless helpless. Imagine being in the middle of Yemen at the moment. But when Jesus saw this crowd, it said he was moved with compassion. Jesus felt what the crowd was feeling and he he healed the sickness. He preached the kingdom of God. He preached the message of hope in the God who probably seemed so distant. Where the disciples were probably feeling afraid, probably feeling nervous, probably feeling small and helpless, Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, you probably know the verses that come next, but imagine not knowing the, the verses. When Jesus moved with compassion, he said, he saw that the people were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. What is Jesus going to do next? He could have carried on healing and preaching because he was the shepherd. He could have carried on what he was doing already. 
But what does he do instead? He turns to his disciples and he says, Right, you lot. In the midst of all that need, Jesus didn't go it, continue going it alone. Verse 37. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Surrounded by all the need, all the the crowds, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, The harvest truly is plentiful. Maybe his disciples were asking, have you been watching Emmerdale Farm or what? <laughs> the harvest truly is plentiful. How does that sentence change the way we view a crowd? A year ago, there was a poster of the flood of refugees and there was a politician standing in front of the crowd saying stop or words to that effect because a crowd makes us afraid but Jesus says about these multitudes the harvest truly is plentiful what does he mean by that? think of a field of wheat That field of wheat means something to somebody. It means a lot to the farmer, doesn't it? The farmer who owns that field loves that wheat. Why? Because to him, the harvest is his livelihood, isn't it? It's everything. It's his future. And when he sees that that wheat is ready to be harvested, he knows that he's got a couple of days, maybe hours, to get that harvest in. But Jesus wants his disciples to think of that crowd as a field to be harvested. Jesus is saying, he says a bit later, the world is the field. Imagine that the towns and the cities, the streets, are a field. The question is, who owns the field? Is it the town council? Who owns these streets? Who owns these homes? Who owns these people? We're just the occupants of this world. God is the owner. That's about our existence, isn't it? It's more than politics. It's more than sociology. It is our existence. We're just occupants of this earth, here for a time. But God owns everything. And Jesus he says, the world is that field and there is a harvest Harvest of what? Where's the harvest? 
we are the harvest, aren't we? Men, women and children. And more than a farmer treasures his harvest, we are precious. Each one of us is precious to our Heavenly Father. Each life is precious. And the farmer wants the harvest, doesn't he? What's he going to do when he sends out the combine harvesters, when he sends out his laborers, when they bring the wheat in? What's he going to do with it? He's going to put it in his barn, isn't he? God wants to bring us to himself. He wants us to save us from futility, from being lost, from being left. And this is what is special of the Christian vision, the vision of Jesus. Jesus can look at a crowd and where a normal human being would say, this is too much, Lord, send them away. The disciples said that at one point, didn't they? Jesus, send them away. But Jesus says, this is a harvest field. These people are precious. Because for Jesus, the problem isn't that there are so many people in need. That's not the problem. What is the problem for Jesus? He says it here. The problem is that there are too few people who care. Too few people who care. The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. And this is why Christians get involved where maybe other people would stay away because the heart of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus tells us that we need to share God's love and we need to do something And Jesus says, more hearts need to have that compassion. Even Jesus here refuses to be the only one running around performing the miracles, preaching the good news. He refuses to be the only one. He says there need to be more people doing that. He says this to his disciples. Maybe men who like to solve a problem, we men like to solve a problem. If Jesus says there are too few workers, what would we do immediately? We'd say to the person next to us, you go. <laughs> but what does Jesus say afterwards? What's the next verse? He says, Therefore, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. There are too few workers, but that doesn't mean that immediately we should all rush into action. Jesus says, no, 
pray that the Lord of the harvest send out labourers into his harvest. I like that. That pause, that pray. Because what does that tell us? Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest. When we pray, we recognise that God is in charge. That ultimately, the lack of workers, that's his, his problem. It's not only his problem, but it's his authority. Only God has the authority to appoint workers, empower workers, and equip workers. When we pray, we hand over the authority to God. And we ask God to reveal his plan. And when we pray, we also say that maybe we're ready. I don't know. Jesus said there, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So they all belt, bent down their heads to pray. And then Jesus said, right, Peter, James, John, Bartholomew. Afterwards, Jesus appointed the twelve. After he had prayed and maybe after the disciples prayed, Jesus appointed the twelve. But first, they prayed. And that's where... I leave the message. Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Hopefully the month of August is going to be a month where the church is less active. Is that right, Pastor? Are you giving, a, are you giving them all a rest? You've got the fun day this week, is it? Time, hopefully we have time to pray before going back to service, going back to ministry. Let's pray for one another and pray that God will appoint and send out and equip and empower labourers into his harvest he is the lord of the harvest and he can see the same people the people we know he can see the people in our streets the people on our estates he can see what's going on in yemen in syria in iraq in libya in pakistan in afghanistan And he says to us, the harvest truly is plentiful. Amen.